I know this is our last Sunday here at Houston Christian, and we'll be moving to Westchester International Academy, which is just five minutes from here. But uh, we're so excited about what God has for us in the future, and it's, uh, it's always uh, sad to come to the close of one chapter, uh, but it's real exciting to, to, to open up a new chapter, and that's what we're on uh, the eve of here. But uh, we want to leave a blessing here at Houston Christian. They've been so generous to us. Uh, we didn't have any influence to offer them. We didn't really have any money to offer them. We had nothing to offer them. But they, out of the graciousness of their hearts, allowed us to worship here uh, three and a half years ago and uh, every sun- Sunday since. And we have uh, really been uh, just uh, as, bi- as good of tenants as we possibly could. Uh, but, uh, you know, there would be some Sundays when we would have to call them and say, love you so much, the air conditioning is not on. And that guy is like at his church worshiping and he's getting phone calls from us and and so uh, they've just been so generous through all of that. And uh, we want to leave a blessing. And, you know, there's not a financial blessing that we could really leave them uh, that uh, uh, they would appreciate as much as a spiritual blessing. That is what we can leave them. And so I just want to pray for this school right now. And maybe you didn't send your kids to Christian school. You don't have any plans on that. Uh, um, that's not what, what, what this is. This is just us as grateful uh, tenants and grateful kingdom partners just saying we want to leave a, a blessing here behind us and we want this place to be better spiritually uh, than when we found it and uh, so would you just mind just praying with me and here at Bayou City Fellowship every once in a while we just all pray out loud and uh, you're like well that's weird uh, you, first you don't have to there's no pressure uh, but you totally have to there's lots of pressure um, uh, but uh, the reason we pray out loud is for two reasons uh, number one when most of us pray in our minds we pray for like 10 seconds and then we stop praying And uh, we want to pray for more than 10 seconds here. Um, The other reason is because there's something powerful about hearing all of our voices. And you're like, well, I don't want anybody to hear my voice. Well, that's the great thing is uh, if the person next to you is doing their part, they're praying out loud, they're not listening to you. You are the center of their world, but uh, they are not listening to you at this moment. Uh, So, uh, but we want to pray together. We want to pray out loud, strong, filled with faith. It doesn't have to be a lot of faith, just a mustard seed of faith. Just ask God to bless these people. Uh, Dr. Livingston is the headmaster here. Uh, He was the first one who said that we could meet here. There's a lady named Kelly here, and she's the one who wrote all of our contracts so graciously. And uh, and then there's a guy named Joe. And Joe is the guy that we would call uh, when we were in need. And uh, and Joe is going to be happy that we don't have to call him next week uh, for something. But especially uh, Joe. Um, he uh, has been so gracious to us. So those three people, if you could remember them by name, Dr. Livingston, Kelly, and Joe, and then school in general, all of its teachers and all of its students. Let's pray right now in Jesus' name. Yeah, God, we just bless you for this, this place, God. And we, uh, we thank you for them and we honor them, God. And we uh, leave a blessing here. We leave a blessing here. God, we're so uh, grateful for this school, and uh, we're grateful for the people of this school, and we bless them today in the name of Jesus, and we ask that uh, their, their school here would be abundantly blessed, but we also pray that their homes and their families and their own personal lives uh, would be uh, built up and encouraged today because we've prayed, Lord. 
Uh, God, we thank you for their heart. Their heart was uh, not just to say, uh, to say no more uh, Bayou City Fellowship at Houston Christian, but their heart was to give other churches opportunities uh, to be started here. And so, God, we pray that that would happen. We pray that there would be other churches that would come behind, uh, Lord. And as painful as this might be, we pray that those churches would do even greater things than we would do, God. Uh, their, these rooms would be even more full than they've been in our days, God. And, um, Lord, and we just ask uh, that uh, for as long as this chapter exist, that there would be churches who would benefit because of it, God. And we thank you for every person uh, at this school who has played a role um, in your graciousness towards us. And so we return that graciousness, God. We return it today, and uh, we pray that we leave this school uh, spiritually better than we found it. Um, And we impart any kind of blessing that you would allow us to impart today on uh, behalf of uh, the people, uh, the faculty and staff, and the students of this school. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here. Why don't you have a seat? Grab your Bible, turn to John chapter 17. So, you know, the last uh, eight or nine weeks, we have been doing this series called Fields. And the idea was that in the same way that you have a field of work, uh, you're in construction, you're in uh, medical, you're a stay-at-home mom, uh, you're a teacher, you have a field of work. You also have a a field of kingdom work. And uh, God has called you, he set you apart, he's gifted you for working in that field. Jesus said that the fields were white with harvest. He said in another place that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And we've been trying to correct that here at Bayou City Fellowship. And so hopefully by now, you know what field God has called you to. We've talked about how to have credibility in that field. We've talked about how to love people in that field. Uh, We've talked about how God even uses our pain and suffering as a platform to bring in that harvest. And if you weren't with us during those days, those Sundays, and I really encourage you to get online and listen to those podcasts because, you know, every church really has the same source material. You pass a lot of churches to get here on uh, today. And, and uh, if you went to those churches and said, where are you getting all of your information? They would say, what? Well, we're the Bible. Who are you trying to lift up and glorify? They would say, Jesus. Those are the exact same things that we're saying. But every church has a personality. Just like the children in your family are all in your family, each, children has, each child has a unique personality. And churches have unique personalities. And probably more than anything, that's this series called Fields is the personality of our church. And so if you're new to our church or uh, or, or maybe you just need a refresher on what we're all about. I'd encourage you to get online and listen to those messages. I, I think it really uh, summarizes who we want to be and why we want to be that. Uh, but last week we started a new series in John chapter 17, and we're eavesdropping in on Jesus's prayer. So turn there with me, John chapter 17. John chapter 13, Jesus washed his disciples' feet at his last supper, the Passover supper. John chapter 14, he talks about how he is the way to the Father. John chapter 15, he talks about us abiding in him as he abides and is connected to the Father. In John chapter uh, 16, uh, he talks about how our sorrow is going to be turned to, to joy. And in John chapter 17, he prays. And it's like we are eavesdropping in on his 
prayer. And you can tell a lot about a person in the way that they pray. And I, I, last week out in Cyprus, I was talking about how when people listen in on our prayers, most of the time it's at, uh, you know, our dinner table. It's at lunch somewhere out and, you know, somebody offers the blessing. And then when you wake not wake up, when you open up, there are three or four waiters there standing with all of your food, and it's kind of awkward because they've been listening to you pray. So I was, I was kind of in that, and I was making fun, as I do, of people who pray really, really long because Jesus said we're not heard because of our many words, and I really embrace that. So um, all week long, I heard from people from our church, like, hey, I only prayed a seven-sentence prayer uh, this week. And I'm like, what kind of a pastor am I that uh, would encourage people to not pray a long time. Like, that's just, just a, I'm a, just a terrible pastor. Um, but uh, and thank you for disagreeing with that. I really appreciate it. <laughs> but we are, we're eavesdropping in on Jesus's prayer. And it's not a long prayer. It would not take you a long time to read it from beginning to end. But what he prays in here, you can tell a lot about what he cares for. You can tell a lot about his relationship with God. You can tell a lot about his theology, what he believes about God. Uh, you can tell a lot. And uh, last week, uh, the way that I summarized what I was reading was that God is glorified when Jesus is glorified. And in the midst of all that glory, we receive eternal life. Because Jesus talks about glorify the Son. And when you glorify the Son, I'm going to glorify you. And in the midst of all that, he says, this is eternal life, that we would know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So we're going to start in verse 6, and we're just going to be together. We're just going to sit together in the word this morning. John chapter 17, verse 6, Jesus says, he prays, I have revealed your name to, to the men you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that all things you have given me are from you. Because the words that you gave me, I have given them. They have received them and have known for certain that, you, that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. All my things are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost, except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. And here's the idea that we're running around today. You can see it on the screen behind me. In this world, a disciple knows God's word and knows God's name. In this world, a disciple knows God's word and knows God's name. Because there's been a shift in verse 6. The first five verses are really about Jesus' relationship with God. But in verse 6, he transitions now into praying for his disciples. He says, I have revealed your name to the men you gave me from the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now remember, Jesus was perfect. He was sinless he was righteous, he was good, he was loving, but he was not loved back, not totally. There were different moments in his ministry where he was at the peak of his popularity. He was beloved. When he went through town, everybody shows up. You remember in Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus even wants to see Jesus so bad that he climbs up into a tree. He had moments 
uh, of ministry like that where he was beloved. But then he also had moments where it was just these few disciples gathered around him. And so really what he's doing is he's saying, you have given these men to me as a gift. And he received them as a gift. Uh, the, the word disciple, it literally, in its most plain definition, means to be a student or a, a learner. But as you read the Gospels, you understand and see that these disciples were more than just students. They were students. They were learning. That's absolutely true. But they were also servants. But they were more than servants. They were friends. Uh, they were even family. You remember the story in Matthew chapter 12 where Jesus is teaching and the, the house is filled and his mother and brothers are standing outside the house and, and they want Jesus to come out to them. But he's kind of in the middle of all this and uh, biblical scholars believe that Mary and his brothers are really kind of annoyed at Jesus because this is pretty early on in his ministry and they don't fully understand exactly what he's doing and what he's uh, trying to accomplish. And so they're, they're getting them to come out, maybe just to tone it down a little bit, not to stop, just to tone it down a little bit. And Jesus says in the midst of all these people, as he, as he finds out that his mother and brothers want him, he says, who are my mother and brothers? But he points to his disciples and he says, these are my mother and brothers, those who do the will of the Father. So the disciples were students, yes. They were servants, yes. They were also friends and they were family. And we see from the scripture that the disciples are committed to Jesus by faith and love. They started following Jesus because they believed that he had the potential to be the Messiah. They weren't 100% sure, even as he kind of comes into his last days, you can see their skepticism. You see that they don't fully grasp exactly what he's trying to accomplish. But they followed him by faith, and somewhere along there, they were also committed to him in love. So that's really what a disciple is. It's somebody connected to Jesus first by faith and then by love. And look what he says in verse 9. He says, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. And then look what he says in verse 11. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. So Jesus, shortly after, in fact the next chapter, is going to be arrested after he's betrayed by Judas that he's going to be tortured, then he's going to be crucified, then he's going to be raised from the dead three days later, and then he's going to ascend into heaven. And he says, I I'm leaving this world. But he says, but the disciples, they are staying in the world, so he is praying for them. Now, here's my theory. I did a lot of, of study, and, and I can't prove this, but this is just my gut instinct as I read and study the scripture. I don't think that you can be a disciple in heaven. You can be a servant in heaven, you can be a worshiper in heaven, you can be in the family in heaven, but I think that being a disciple is a unique position here on earth because a big part of being a disciple is learning the way of Jesus, learning it, seeing it, and then applying it, and you know how hard that is. I mean, how many times on a Sunday morning have we talked about something and you have had something stir in you as I have also had something stir in me and we're like, I gotta do that. I gotta stop talking about it and I gotta start doing that. And then you get out there and you do it perfectly 
exactly the, the very first opportunity. No, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to learn it, and then it's hard to apply it. But that's the role of a disciple. But there's coming a day, according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. It says this, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. So there's coming a day when you either pass away in this world or Jesus returns. When we will see him, see him fully for how he is. Not through a veil, not through a mirror, but through clearly uh, see him as he is, and you will become like him, meaning what you, learning, what you learn, you will automatically apply. You'll be like him, not like him as in son of God, right hand of God, uh, but, but you'll be like him. You'll be glorified like him. So being a disciple, I think, is a unique position to earth, which means that if Jesus was ascending, but he's leaving the disciples in the world, then he had a specific and significant purpose for leaving them here. And if that purpose is so significant, then I think being in the world is also a part of it. But we don't want to do that. Just like the disciples wanted to ascend with him, we also want to move from one pocket of heaven to the other. A couple of years ago, I was getting my oil changed, and as I was sitting in the little waiting room there, I noticed that they were playing the Christian radio station, and, and you know how they have the magazines there, and they're always like four years old, um, and, uh, and so I'm thumbing through which one is the most current, and I see this phone book. It was called the Shepherd's phone book, and it had a picture of a shepherd on it with a staff and some sheep on it, and so I opened it up, and what it was, it was a Christian businesses, and so you could pay if you're a Christian business to get in this Christian phone book, and so if you wanted a Christian air conditioning man, uh, then you could find one. If you wanted to know where to, to where the Christians go to get their oil changed, it was this place that I was in, uh, you know, and, uh, and so it was a whole phone book filled with uh, Christian uh, businesses, right, um, because there's a need for that. I mean, we, we would all want that. Wouldn't you, if you could shop at a Christian grocery store, wouldn't you do it, right? If you knew that when you went in there, they were going to play the Christian music and there weren't going to be all the gossipy, uh, you know, magazines. There were only going to be Bibles there because you would never read them while you wait in line. You, you never want the update uh, and neither do I, right? Wouldn't we do that? Yeah, we would go and we would shop at the Christian uh, grocery store if we knew there was a Christian grocery store because there's something in us that, like the disciples, if Jesus is not here, then we don't want to be here. And we end up trying to create these little pockets of heaven. I'm a Christian air conditioning man, so all the Christians come over here and we can do our air conditioning stuff together. I'm the Christian grocery store and all the Christians can go and shop here and we can eliminate any of the bad influences. Well, that's great. You can eliminate all of the bad influence, but when you do that, you also eliminate the people for which you were called to remain here for. If Jesus wanted you in heaven, you would be in heaven. So you and I need to think about the intentionality with which we remain in this world. Jesus says, I'm leaving them here. I am going, but they are staying. So I am praying for them. So he doesn't just leave you hanging. He doesn't just leave you in your non-Christian workplace. He has prayed for you. He has equipped you. He has called you. You are a disciple and your place is in this world with a significant purpose. In this world, 
A disciple knows God's word. Verse 6. I revealed your name to the men you gave me from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And look at this. And they have kept your word. Verse 8. Because the words that you gave me, I have given them. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They believed that you sent me. So there's a, an, an order here. God gave the words to Jesus. Jesus gave the words to the disciples. The disciples received them. And now they know for certain that God sent Jesus. See, your relationship with God's word is proof that you are a disciple. A disciple is one that receives the words of God from Jesus. I want you to turn to what will probably be a very familiar place. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It's one of those banner verses about the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. As you're turning there, you notice the context in verse 7. Uh, it says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So it's the idea that we would not harden our heart and ignore what God is saying to us or refuse to listen. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as to divide soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. It is a judge of the ideas and thoughts of the heart. So it says the word of God is, is living. It's it's alive. It's, it's not lifeless. When you think about that, uh, maybe you have a Bible in your lap. Uh, it's, there's life here. There's life-giving properties. I know that from my own story. I've told you before, but when I became a Christian, I was at a kind of a church service like this. And the guy who got up to speak, he, he, I remember two things about him. He had a Bible and he had a really thick red mustache. And and when he got up, and he, he opened up his Bible, and I'm sitting on the very back row, and just, this, just the conviction of God just came over my life. I didn't really even have words for it, but I just knew something was wrong. He hadn't even started, so it wasn't like he was really getting going, or he was, you know, he, he was just doing his introduction. But just there on the back row, I just, just conviction of my sin, I, I knew that I was separated from God. I knew that even though I'd grown up in church, all that was just information to me and I needed to receive that totally into my life. And all happened when he opened up his Bible. What you have here in your hands is living and it's active. Um, active means that there's energy there. There's effectiveness there. There's power there. That's one of the reasons in our kids' ministry, I don't know if you, if you, those of you who have kids, if you actually read that thing that they sent home, but uh, send home with your kids. But if you do, you notice that they're systematically working their way through the scripture. And in three years, they will go from beginning to end. Now, some half the year they do the Old Testament, half the year they do the New Testament. But in three years, your children will walk all the way through the scripture. So we have children here at Bayou City uh, that have walked all the way through the Bible if those kids have been with us since the beginning. And there are lots of different Sunday morning kids uh, curriculums out there. There's some that teach uh, kids how to be good people and they teach them, uh, you know, virtues and traits or, or principles. But we just really believe in the power of the word of God. And so somewhere in the scripture, our kids are digging in. They're hearing the story in its context. And then the most powerful thing is after they've heard it in its context, 
then some teacher there is connecting it to Jesus and what he has done for them. Because it has energy, it has uh, power in its own. It's effective. And then it goes on and it talks about being a two-edged sword, penetrating as far as to divide soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. A a one-edged sword would be just a blade that has just one sharp side, which is like a machete. A machete just has one uh, side that's sharpened. And, and what's a machete for? Well, it's for buying on vacation and bringing back to your four-year-old. That's what machetes are for. But, but what's it really for? It's for hacking. That's what a machete does. It, it hacks. But that's not what the Bible does. That's not what the Word of God does. It's a two-edged sword, meaning it's, it's sharp on both sides. It's for piercing. And it, it pierces all the way deep, mind, body, joint, marrow, and look what it does. It is a judge of the ideas and the thoughts of the heart. Uh, earlier this week, I was, I've been doing this Bible study through the book of Exodus, and I've been there for about 10 weeks, and um, I'm almost done with it. And this week, I was reading the story about how the Israelites, after they were slaves in Egypt, you know, they lived in the wilderness for a long time, but God was taking them to the land of promise. And there in that land of promise, they weren't, they didn't have to live in tents, and they didn't have to live in slaves. They could build homes of their own, and it was really going to be just this beautiful place. And they get to the very edge of it, and they send uh, 12 spies in. You remember this story? And uh, two spies come back, and they say, God has given us this land. Yeah, sure, there are some obstacles, but God is giving us this land. And the other 10, they're like, oh, woe is us. We're terrible. This is, all, we're all doomed. And the doom spreads. You know, you notice that, that the doom spreads. The doom multiplies. Nobody ever breathes courage in you, and then it, it ripples. What fear is what ripples, and that's exactly what happened uh, to the Israelites. So all the Israelites kind of proclaim essentially with one voice, it would have been better for us to die in, as slaves in Egypt. Now, as soon as I read that, you know, this is towards the very end of Exodus, but it's essentially the same thing that they were saying at the beginning of Exodus. You know, and I noticed that they kept picking the same offense up. It didn't matter what the situation was. It didn't matter if they didn't have water or they didn't have any food. Their go-to complaint was, we wished you would have just let us die as slaves in Egypt. And so I thought about how people do that. People pick up the same offense. It doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter who said what or when they said it or what the email was or what the situation at the work is. It's always the same offense that they pick up. And I was thinking about all the people in my life that I could apply that to. And then just like a knife, and you also. Before you go to apply it to other people, let's look in the mirror. Because that's what the word of God does. It judges the attitudes and thoughts of our heart. And it divides. Turn to John chapter 6. This is one of those moments where Jesus' popularity is, is waning. He's been doing this very difficult teaching, not really difficult to understand, just difficult to wrap their minds around. He, he's saying that, that he's like the manna from the Old Testament. He's the bread from heaven. And if they want in the kingdom of God, then they've got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And they're like, what? We don't understand this. And we're skeptical about it. And John chapter 6, verse 60, it says, Therefore, when many of his disciples, so this is not the crowd, this is the disciples. When they heard it, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, asked them, does this offend you? 
Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who would not believe and the one who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Verse 66, and from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. See, the word of God divides. The word of God, it, it is a defining moment. When you and I come to it and we see it as it is and we read it and we take it in, we have to decide, are we in or are we out? The only way to remain in a Christian environment without being totally 100% committed to this is just to ignore it and to close your ears. That's the only way. The only way to be a life-going church person who is only casually committed to Jesus is just to come Sunday after Sunday with clogged ears and a hard heart. Because you cannot read the Bible, understand what God has said in his word, and remain neutral, remain half in and half out. Because the word of God divides in and out, goats and sheep. And so many of his disciples said after this teaching, after his word, we're out. We appreciate all that you're doing, but we, we can't come around this. And look what he says in verse 67. Therefore, Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, who will we go to? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So he says to his disciples, the 12, the other disciples, some of them are deserting, but the 12, do you want to go? And Peter's like, where would we go? You're the one who has the words of eternal life. And what did Jesus say eternal life was? John chapter 17, verse 3. But to know the one true God and Jesus Christ, who he has sent. See, the Bible isn't just about knowing rules. The word of God doesn't divide our thoughts and attitudes and judge our thoughts and attitudes of our hearts just to make us feel bad, just to turn us into different kind of people. It cuts joint and marrow, heart and soul, so that we can know God and we can know Jesus. A disciple is in this world and a disciple is in this world and knows God's word, but a disciple also knows God's name. Back to John chapter 17, verse 6. I have revealed your name to the men you gave me from the world. Verse 11. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. Verse 12. While I was with them, I was protecting them by what? By your name that you have given me. And then he says... I guarded them and not one of them was, is lost except the son of destruction so the scripture may be fulfilled. That's a reference to Judas. And what Jesus is saying is uh, what Judas is doing was prophesied about long before and is a part of God's sovereign plan. But he talks about them being protected by God's name. Now God is referred to by many different names in the scripture. Uh, Elohim, 
is one name. Uh, it means God, judge, creator. It's first used in Genesis chapter one, verse one. So it literally says, if you could read the original languages and not our, um, not our English translation, it would say, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Uh, El Shaddai is another name of God in the scripture. It means God Almighty in Genesis chapter 17, uh, verse one, God is making a covenant with Abraham and is known by that name, El Shaddai. El Elyon means the most high God. In Genesis chapter four, Abraham is being blessed by a man named Melchizedek, uh, um, and uh, he is a priest of the most high God, El Elyon. Adonai, another name for God in the scripture. It simply means Lord. It's used 434 times in the Old Testament, especially in Isaiah and Ezekiel. Uh, then you have Yahweh, or you might have heard it, Jehovah. That's really the same thing. Uh, it's used more than any other name uh, for God in the Bible, 6,519 times in the New Testament alone. God revealed this name to Moses when Moses was seeing the burning bush. And Moses wants to know, I'm gonna go to your people and I'm gonna tell them, hey, I'm here to set you free. And they're gonna say, who sent you? And he says, in our minds, he says, tell them the Lord sent, sent you. But he says uh, to Moses, tell them Yahweh sent you. Uh, it's God's personal name. And that's why it's used more than any other name in the Bible. You're like, well, I don't see it anywhere. Anytime you see in the scripture, uh, God referred to as Lord with a capital L, a capital O, a capital R, a capital D. That is uh, the name Yahweh, just represented by that word Lord. In fact, that name was so holy to the Jewish people, they just stopped saying it. They didn't want to offend, cross any lines when God said that they should not take his name in vain. So they just said, We're, we don't even wanna come close to that. The name Yahweh is so holy. We're just not gonna say it anymore. You have Jehovah Nisi, Yahweh Nisi means the Lord is my banner. It's used by Moses after God led Israel to defeat a great army in the Old Testament. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. God reveals himself by this name to Israel after he transforms bitter water into drinkable water in Exodus chapter 15. So I'm reading John chapter 17 and Jesus is saying, I've revealed your name to them and you've protected them by your name and I've protected them by your name. You know, what name is he talking about? Is he talking about any of of those names as he's saying, I've protected them by the name of Elohim or Yahweh or Adonai or Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Ra. What name is he talking about? Well, I think that it's the name that's revealed to us in the very first verse of John chapter 17. Look at it with me. And Jesus spoke these things and looked up to heaven and said, I think Father is the name that God used to protect the disciples, that Jesus used to protect the disciples. I think it's the name that Jesus revealed to his disciples. One commentator says uh, this, it is not generally appreciated how unique this name was. Today we are at home with the thought of God as Father, but this was not true in Jesus's day, nor would it even have been thought to be proper. You know, Father's Day is next week. Uh, uh, we know all the ladies in here have already brought all their presents, which, uh, uh, you know, just, but just in case you haven't, uh, men like presents too. Father's Day is next week. And really how you uh, celebrate and think about that day is really how you'll interpret what we're talking about today. 
So Father's Day for you is a great day of celebration and joy. And you're gonna call your dad first thing in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, you're gonna be there and on the phone. Dad, I love you, you're so amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, then, then you have no problem knowing that Jesus protected the disciples with the name Father. But maybe your dad wasn't like that. Maybe your dad was not a well-balanced dad. Uh, maybe your dad was not a compassionate dad. Maybe your dad was uh, not super present and active. You know, every once in a while, I hear a man say, uh, I can't do that, I have to babysit my kids. Uh, first of all, you're their father. You don't babysit your kids. You are with your kids. You are taking your kids places. You are not your wife's help. You are their dad. But maybe you had a dad where that's what it was like. He did his thing and you and your mom, the kids, that was another thing. Maybe you had a, a dad uh, that uh, was a passive dad and he was like, just do whatever you want. I don't care, just stay off my radar. Maybe you had an explosive dad. Maybe you had a cold dad. Maybe you had a distant dad. Maybe you had an absent dad. Uh, maybe you did have a compassionate dad. Maybe you had a well-balanced dad. Maybe you had a present and active dad. But however you feel about next Sunday really shapes the weight of this idea that God revealed uh, his name, Father, through Jesus. But he is perfect father. God as father tells us that we are loved, we are provided for, we are well protected. How many of you, show of hands, are uh, the firstborn child in your family? Yeah, uh, it means you're the best, of course. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding, that's what you've thought your whole life. Uh, but uh, uh, firstborn uh, children, typically, of course, this is just a generalization, but uh, firstborn, we're, uh, we're usually the warriors of the, the kids, right? And uh, all of you firstborns are like, yeah, amen. I've cared about doing what's right my whole life, but my little brother or my little sister, they just do whatever they want and it works out for them, you know? And uh, we're gonna have a prayer time for all the firstborns uh, at the, the stress and pain caused by the second and third and fourthborn uh, at the end of the service. Um, but uh, uh, firstborns, you know, if you remember when you were a kid, do you remember the first time that you started worrying? Probably not because it came really young. Like, do you remember the first time that you understood that your parents had to pay uh, the mortgage or the rent for your house and you worried about them not getting it in on time and getting kicked out? Do you remember uh, the first time that you learned about your parents' credit card and, and you ever uh, wondered, uh, well, is there gonna be a time when they swipe it and we're not gonna be able to get groceries or not gonna be able to pay for this meal and they're gonna send me back to the kitchen to wash dishes? These are the kinds of things that firstborns worry about. And so there's all kinds of things that you have been stressed about, right? When you were a child, maybe you have firstborn children and you see this in them. Like Jackson is our firstborn, he's nine years old. And, and uh, he is, I've scarred him when it comes to the toll on the tollway, you know, the, the gate, because there was a, a Sunday a couple of months ago where I got in the wrong line. I had my dollar bill, but I accidentally was not paying attention and I got into the quarter line and I didn't have any quarters, like I had zero quarters. And so I tried to creep up to the gate thing because I would and pray like the, that it would just release automatically. And uh, it didn't. And so I sat there for a few seconds, but you know, it feels like forever because there are people behind you and they're starting to honk their horn where he is maximum stressed out as he should be because his father is irresponsible. Uh, but, uh, 
But I even tried to, to, to reach out the window and lift up the, the gate. It's kind of heavy, Ed, so it's, it's, you're going to need two arms. And I had to get out and walk over to one of the toll booths, and she had to lift it for me. I don't know exactly what happened, but the Lord came through, and it, it lifted up, right? But, but now when we go through just him and I, if Amanda's in the car, he has no stress about the toll. But if it's just he and I, he starts talking about it as we get there to make sure that I get in the right line. Because why? Because he's, he's firstborn, and he's worried about those things. But uh, we have to say to him sometimes, and, and your parents had to say to you, and you have to say to your firstborn children, you know, that's not your job. That's not your job. That's my job. My job is to worry about that. That's mommy's job. That's, your job is just to be a kid. But how many of us feel that weight right now? We feel the weight of trying to control things that we don't have any control of. We feel like if we just worry about it enough, then we'll manipulate it into a, an a acceptable outcome. And every time that we say to God in prayer, Father, it should be relief for us. Every time that you get on your knees and you say, Father, we should feel the stress and the anxiety coming off. That he is looking out for us. That he is protecting us. That that's not our job. There are some things that we should do. There are some things that we can control. There is a way of living that is right and good. But what is weighing so much of us down is stuff that we can't control, things that we don't have any influence over. And he would say to us through our confession of Father today, I am protecting you. I am looking out for you. I have you guarded. I have you hemmed in from the front and from the back. And this is what a disciple knows. Proverbs 8, chapter 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected. Some of us have taken on things that we do not have the emotional bandwidth for. And so what do we say today? I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna get it done. No, we say today, Father. You are a disciple. You are in this world for a significant purpose. But you are a disciple who is well equipped as you walk in this world. You are equipped with the word of God and you are equipped with the name of God. Not some distant would be, used to be, but Father. Let's pray. Don't you just say, we'll just confess uh, Father today out loud together. Father, Father. Jesus, thank you for revealing this name of God to us. can't imagine what our lives would be like if we were not able to know him as father. And so we receive all the freedom that comes from that relationship. We thank you, Father, that you've not left us just to guess what your will is and what your way is. You've given us your word through Jesus. And so as disciples in this world, we walk with your word and with your name. 
we pray, God, that you would continue to lead us. Jesus, thank you for letting us eavesdrop in on your prayer. It's life and death to us because you hold the words of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray.